You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. I'll talk to you for just a little bit this evening. Uh, the title of my message is Love Isn't. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this, I just did a series just recently because we live in a culture, maybe it's always been this way throughout the history of humanity, but I know that it's this way now, that there's a lot of conversation about love, about what it is, and, you know, we write songs about it, we have, you know, there's, there's movies that are on, you know, and, and uh, just all sorts of things that we, we do regarding love. It's such a, a big part of our conversation, and now even in the social conversation, that there's a lot of things that take place in regards to things that are taking place um, socially in our culture. And oftentimes that the justification for that is, is that, you know, love is used as a justification for it. So um, if you would, open up your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. 1 John is in the New Testament. It's like back towards the end of the Bible. And so 1 John chapter 4, this is a letter that uh, the Apostle John wrote. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8, and then I'm going to go down to verse 17 through 19. So in verses 7 and 8, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue. Everybody say continue. Continue Continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because for God is love. Everybody say God is love. love. So now think about this for just a minute. It doesn't say that God has love. It says that he is love. That he is, that's exactly who he is. And one of the challenges we have is that, is that when people hear that phrase, when they're introduced to Jesus and they, they you know, begin to walk in a relationship with him, one of the challenges that we have is that we have a preconceived idea of what love is, and so then we hear that God is love, and so we think, well, th- I know, you know this is what love is, and so therefore that must be who God is. As opposed to what our attitude should be is, is that because God is love, I don't come to him and say, well, he's like what I think love is. I come to him, and as I get to know him, then he reveals to me what love is. And there are times that he reveals to me that what I thought it was isn't what it is at all. And so he begins to reveal that to me. And so, you know, he is, he is love. He's, he's the reality of love. That His presence is that. Now, we also lose sight of this. He's also just, and he's holy, and he's omnipotent, and he's omniscient, and he's all of those things, but he's Love And for us to understand that, we can't look to culture to discover or determine what love is. We can't look to those kind of things, you know, because one of the things about it is is that the voice of culture changes constantly. There are things that culture said was not okay 100 years ago that today it embraces. And there's other things that 100 years ago culture said um, is okay that today it says is wrong. Well, because God is truth, he is, you know, and he is love, then I mean, he's constant, he's consistent in all that he does. Well, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 17 says this. says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Now listen to this. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear. Let me say that again. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. 
So when we talk about love and what it is and what it isn't, one of the things that we have to know is, that, uh, like if you're taking notes, you can put this down here, that love, love is fearless. It's fearless. It, it isn't afraid. And, and, you know, the context of what he's talking about here is in our relationship with God. Now, I will just tell you a couple of things. Uh, my dad, uh, when he was a young man, um, he, he would hear about the fear of the Lord, but for him, he kind of had this terror of God. It was one of those things, when he would think about God, he was just, you know, he just, he just dealt with all of this just depression and all of this condemnation. And so he, he was terrified of God. And when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, that's not what it's talking about. When it talks about the fear of the Lord, it's talking about a reverence, kind of like, oh, it's you. Oh, this, this is his. Oh, you know, I mean, it's, there's just this recognition of who he is and of his greatness and how he feels about us. And, you know, that his, you know, I love it whenever Moses wanted to know his glory. In other words, he said, I want to know what makes you great. And God showed him his goodness. And so the love of God, whenever we operate in the love of God, that one of the things that happens to us is that as that grows in us, there's no longer this terror of the Lord. I mean, it just haunted my dad so much that for a few years, man, he, he went into therapy. He went and saw counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists. He just had this terror of God. But the more that he began to know the Lord, all of a sudden that began to drift away. And the one thing that he began to embrace was not this terror of God, but just this reverence for him. And so the love of God that lives on the inside of us as a believer that one of the things that it should impact us is the way that we view our relationship with him. A few verses before what we just read, it says this, that we have confidence in his love. In other words, that I'm confident about where I'm going to go when I leave this place because I'm confident in his love for me. But, you know, that we know the two great commandments are to love God and to love each other. That I, I think it goes even further to be able to say this, that as we grow in love, that not only are we, are we not afraid of him, but there's also something that whenever we're going to love each other, then it requires us to deal with fear. You know, oftentimes, you know, when people hurt us or they disappoint us or they wound us, then sometimes the thing we do is we pull back. I know people that, you know, maybe in their marriage that they had a spouse that left them. And so they made a decision they would never trust anybody again. They were afraid to enter into, you know, just... Any kind of friendship or anything like that, they let fear just kind of dictate that to them. But I'm here to tell you, there's no fear in love. Now, I know in a place in a room that has this many people, man, and just, you know, you guys are awesome on a Wednesday night to have this many people, you know, during the summer at church, man, that's just incredible. It says something about you. But I know there's probably some of you in here that, that you just, you walk around guarded all the time because you were wounded or you were hurt and all of a sudden fear set in and said, you can't trust anybody. You can't, you can't open up your heart to anybody ever again because if you do, they'll just hurt you. So as a result of that, you spent the rest of your life just guarded. And the reality of love is, is that love is messy. It's messy. I mean, sometimes things happen in our world and happen in our life that impact us. And it's, it can feel not safe because what if I get hurt again? 
When we let fear cause us to withdraw, then we miss out on the things that God has called us to do because, because love will lead us past fear. That if we let fear get in the way, then, then it you know, causes us to like hold back as opposed to the love of God taking us to the place of our purpose and the place of our destiny. I, I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer it out loud. I just want you to ponder this for just a moment. Are there any things in your life, any memories, any elements of your past that because of them, that you're afraid to be vulnerable ever again. That you're afraid to trust anybody ever again. And the truth of the matter is, is what's happened is, is that when we get there, fear comes in and tries to set up camp in our thoughts and in our heart and get in the way of what God has for us. Because the things that he has for us are often on the other side of our fear. And that's the place that love leads us. If you're taking note, someone as this is that love is fearless. That it's fearless in its relationship with God. It's, there's still a reverence there, but we go into his presence unafraid because we have confidence in his love. But it's also fearless, even if it's misunderstood as we deal with people and as we approach their life. It's fearless in that because God's shed abroad the love of God in our heart. That as we push forward, that we don't let fear get in the way of what God has called us to, or who he's called us to minister to. So number one is this love is fearless. Uh, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament still. It's a few books in front of 1 John. And so it's, um, it's right after Galatians and right before uh, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. Now I love Ephesians, like the first three chapters are talking about all the things that Jesus has done for us, you know, on the cross and in the resurrection. But then the next three chapters, he talks about what that looks like lived out of our life. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. Now these are the gifts. Everybody say gifts. Yes. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. In other words, these are gifts he gave to the church. So in other words, Pastor Troy, Pastor Julie, they are a gift to you guys. Some of you probably went home and thought, that Pastor Troy just thinks he's just God's gift. Well, he is. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that because, you know, we'll have to work with him on humility. And so anyway, <laughs> but it says that, you know, that he gave them to the church. He said their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church and the body of Christ, build church and the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, then we will no longer be immature like children. So, in other words, as you come to church and as you're fed and as you serve, then what happens is that God begins to work in us, he builds us up, and we become mature. And, uh, and this is what he said, we'll no longer be immature like children, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth. Everybody say, speak the truth. Speak the truth. 
in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So he said, what will happen is, as you continue to come and the gifts that he's given, you know, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, as they speak into your world, speak into your life, then we grow. And as a result, when we grow, it becomes harder and harder to fool us. One of the things that takes place in our world and in our culture right now is that there's so many things out there of people saying what they think the truth is. And you know, part of the problem is it says this, the description it gives them, it says that their lies so clever they sound like the truth. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. And, and, you know, sometimes people mean well and, and that type of thing. I, I know I talk to people sometimes, and they're like, well, you know, I, I think you can be a Christian and not go to church and that type of thing. And I'm like, well, I can be married and not go home, but it doesn't work well when I do that, okay? <laughs> so, you, you know, so, so coming here is one of the, we, we get to serve, we get fed, we grow, and all of a sudden it becomes harder and harder for us to be deceived. I get so frustrated uh, can I just confess some things to you? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good for my soul if we have therapy. So you just kind of kind of nod your head and ask me from time to time, how's that working for you? So, but, you know, one of the things, you know, just I see stuff where people are like, they're, they're saying, well, this church does so-and-so, and the thing they're doing is like totally against Scripture. And somebody else will go, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what churches are supposed to do. I'm like, you don't go to church. How would you know what a church is supposed to be? It reminds me of when I, when I before I ever had kids, I could parent anybody's kid. I would stand back and like, I would watch your kid behave themselves. I'm like, well, if I had a few minutes with them, they'd stop that right away. <laughs> then I had three kids and they were nothing like your kids. They, none, of, none of the things that would have worked so well on your kids for me didn't work on my kids. And this parenting, it was way different than I thought it was when I started having my own kids. Kids make liars out of us. How's your kid? Oh, man, he's just so good. What did that him in the police car the other day? He was, he was ministering to them. So, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, but, but we live in a culture, man, there's such a description with lies so clever, they sound like the truth, that there are things that are shared, that they're just emotionally appealing, intellectually appealing that you know it, it sounds good and, and part of the problem is is that in our generation that we kind of kind of the filter that we have for truth some people their idea of truth is well that if i i feel good if it makes me feel good then it must be true did you know that's a horrible filter for truth sometimes the truth is like really uncomfortable i mean it's like really uncomfortable i've had people tell me the truth before and they've, i've kind of gotten irritated with them I mean, I want to look and go, well, that doesn't make me feel very good. That must not be true. <laughs> right? I, I mean, and other people, it's like, well, now my truth is, really, I'm just going to tell you what right now, that's ridiculous. Tr truth is one of those things, the truth, it, it doesn't have any bend in it. We don't shape it. It shapes us. And so, and so then we in the body of Christ, we're called to be truth tellers. And, you know, part of the challenge is, is that, again, just, you know, and I get it, man. I mean, there are times when people have been honest with me. I remember, you know, years ago, I would commit to do things in church. And, you know, things would show up and I'd be like, hey, I'm not going to make it or whatever. And, you know, a lot of people would get frustrated with me, but they, they really wouldn't say anything. And one day this one guy said to me, he goes, hey, look, man, I, you committed twice to do something. And you've canceled both times. 
I said, well, you know, I just had some things come up there incredibly busy. Said, yeah, but you committed to us first. And I, I really thought that what he would do is kind of let me just kind of charm my way through, just kind of say a few things, and it really wouldn't be worth it. No, man, that dude would not let me go. I'm starting to get mad. He just kind of kept going on. And, I mean, he wasn't yelling at me. wasn't cussing at me. I feel like cussing at him, but he wasn't cussing at me. And just kind of like, just kind of, you know. When I left, man, I was, I was like really frustrated. And, of course, then the Lord speaks to me. I have, you know, God thoughts. I remember when I was doing youth ministry in Clovis, we did a spaghetti dinner. And they were telling me, they said, look, you know, that you just need to delegate more. You need to delegate more and that kind of thing. I said, okay, I'll delegate. So, and so I delegated, and I, the, we were, it was a, a youth fundraiser, and I asked these two different ladies that they would bring tea to the event. Well, I didn't think about this, and that is that these ladies, their gift was to be punctually challenged, both of them. And so the dinner started, and they show up like 10 or 15 minutes later, almost at the same time, you know, the big cooler, and it's just kind of sloshing around. They get it set up, and, you know, after people have eaten a lot of their meal, they have tea. And so I didn't think anything about it. So the next Tuesday, we had staff meeting. And, we're, you know, we're going over things, and staff meetings kind of come to an end. And I was kind of disappointed and surprised that nobody wanted to talk about what a great spaghetti dinner I'd put on a few days before. So I thought, I'll take away the discomfort. I'll bring it up for them. <laughs> so I said, what do you think of the spaghetti dinner? And I was really fishing for compliments. I'm not above that. And so... So the room kind of got quiet for a minute. I thought, man, they must be really looking for the right words. <laughs> and finally they go, well, you know, then they began to name off some things that were good and some things that were bad. They, they brought up the fact that the, the drinks were late. Of course, I wanted to be like, that's your fault. You're the one that told me to delegate. If I had just done it on my own, it would have been just not as late. <laughs> and so I'm just kind of sitting there. And I don't know if you've ever watched The Office with Michael Scott, how he's kind of like, that's how I felt. It's kind of like non, but on the inside, man, I am cooking. So I go back to my office, and I'm thinking about writing my resignation letter because they criticized my spaghetti dinner. <laughs> and, um, and again, I had one of those God thoughts. Yeah, it is. You know, you're just sitting there, and you, you know, you're just mad, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just blink. And it was like, what are they supposed to do? And it kind of arrested me for a minute. And all of a sudden, conviction began to set in. I mean, it wasn't comfortable. I put a lot of work in it. I made sacrifices. My family made sacrifices. And, and what will happen is the enemy tries to come along and makes us feel like that their correction means that they're, you know, they don't appreciate us or what's, that we're unaware of something. I'm amazed how I hear over and over again when somebody's like, well, you know, they just, they just were mean to me. No, they told you the truth. It's... It's uncomfortable at times. What I love about Pastor Troy, man, is that he and I, we have, we have honest conversations, hard conversations. We both kind of live by this rule. We can get mad at each other. We just can't stay mad at each other. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. People that love us are honest with us. And it says that when we do it, that our motive should be love. That because I love you, I'm, I'm doing this. And because, you know, I want to see change in your life, I'm doing this. But speak the truth in love. It, it's amazing, you know, the other kind of qualities of the, like, Proverbs 16, 6 says this. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. It doesn't just say by mercy. And it doesn't just say by truth. 
He said, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. It says this about Jesus in the Gospel of John. It says that he was full of grace and truth. I mean, those things almost feel like they conflict with each other, right? Because when I think about the situation, like if I'm in disobedience to sin, I think, well, grace would respond this way. And it kind of makes me feel good on the inside. And then on the other hand, when I think about how truth would respond, truth, like truth would respond this way, I'm like, oh. Well, Jesus was full of both of them. And so he ministered not just with truth, but with grace. And not just with grace, but with truth. Well, love isn't afraid to tell the truth. It speaks the truth in love. And one of the things that I think we have to begin to embrace in our lives, certainly in the church, but even in our culture, is that we have to be willing to be courageous enough to hear the truth in our world, whatever that is, and to be able to say, it may make me feel uncomfortable, but that doesn't make it not true. It may require change out of me but that doesn't make it not true. And so love speaks the truth. It tells the truth. You know, the truth is often the things that shapes me into who God's made me to be. That it's the thing that oftentimes it's the thing that's so uncomfortable and yet it's the thing that causes me to go to the place that God has called me to be. And so love isn't afraid to tell the truth. Let's look, I've got one more point here, and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was actually a tax collector at one time and was kind of like anti-religious, and he had an encounter with Jesus and became one of the apostles and wrote this eyewitness account of Jesus' ministry. And so Matthew 18, verse 21, it says this, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Right, that's a great question. How often should I forgive somebody that sins against me? Then he said, seven times? And Jesus' response was, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, I don't think Jesus was putting a lid on it like, hey, that was 491, I'm done forgiving you. <laughs> but... I think he's making a point here. And that is what he wants us to know is that love isn't fragile. Love forgives a lot. Well, I know one of the things we struggle with is that I'll say this, that love and trust are not the same thing. Sometimes you may lose my trust. And that has to be regained. And so my, my, you know, my withholding or not giving you access is not me punishing you. That's what unforgiveness does. Sometimes it's withholding because, you know, I have to know that I can trust you. But love just it forgives. It's not trying to collect a debt. You know, probably the best, you know, example I can give of this is if you, you know, if, if Julie loaned me her car, which she's not likely to do, she's seen me drive. But let's say that she did, that she loaned me her car. And she said, hey, when are you going to get it back? I said, I'll be back in a few hours. And a few hours comes and goes, and I'm, I'm not back. And then a day comes and goes. Finally, after about three days, I come driving in her driveway, and the thing's all scratched up. And she's like, what you do to my car? And I'm like, I just lost total track of the time. Can you believe that? I told you three hours, it was three days. How does that happen? You know, so I mean, it's one of those things. That, and finally, I said, oh, man, I, I didn't realize I'd done so much damage. You know, I went fishing, all those. And, and she's like, I, I, Julie, I'm so sorry. And she goes, 
Okay, you're forgiven. So she gets it fixed. She cleans it up and stuff like that. A few months later, I go back to her and say, Julie, man, I got this issue. I need to borrow your car again. And she goes, no. <laughs> and I said, well, I thought you forgave me. She goes, oh, I did. You don't owe me anything. I didn't report you. You know, you owe me money like that. I just, I just don't trust you right now. When I, when, I, when I trust you again, and that's up to you, when I trust you again, you have access to it. So just to bring some clarity for that, but, but I will tell you, and I don't know about here, maybe you guys, this isn't an issue for you, but I'll tell you at our church, you, you know the, the greatest, the, the number one reason why people leave our church? They get offended. Somebody hurts their feelings. Somebody, or some, uh, you know, and I don't want to minimize, sometimes the offense is real. What they did is really wrong. And just sometimes that conversation, I'll just go, Basically, some of them have gotten mad at me. You know, some of you have just only a few minutes and you're already angry at me. So, I mean, you know, I get it. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that I've just seen it that just, you know, it just sometimes I know, you know, what we've dealt with where we are, that sometimes people will show up and, and they're good for a little while and then they get offended and they go and they're there till they get offended there and then they go and they're there till they, and it's just kind of this cycle in their life. Love isn't, it's not that fragile. It's not that fragile. Love, love has, it has this endurance about it. You know, Jesus never told us how we could keep people from disappointing us. He never told us how we could keep people from hurting us. He just told us what we need to do when they do. He constantly talked about the need to forgive each other. Paul said in one of his letters, he said, we need to make allowances for each other because of our love. We need to forgive just as we've been forgiven. As I said earlier, man, love is messy. There's not anything that's, you know, that's just, just easy about it. It's a messy thing. It's, it requires us to walk around sometimes with like wounded places that have been given to us by people that we love. And, and again, as I talked about earlier, fear comes along and says, well, you can't trust anybody, so you can't love them. And it impacts the way that we view people that, that you know, that, that we've grown up with. It impacts the way that we view people that we live in, you know, community with. It impacts people of a different gender. It impacts people that look like, they look different than me, but they look just like somebody else that hurt me. And so we withdraw. Or disappear. And we have this picture of love, and I think because of what our culture paints, it's just this really delicate thing. It's just not. It's, it's fragile. I talked about it on Mother's Day. I think about moms, you know, just so, they're just so, so often just, and this isn't everybody's story. But I know with me, you know, my mom, you know, she was, that she didn't give up on me. She was a picture of what love looks like, that it endures my broken places. But we get offended and we hang on to it and then all of a sudden it, it begins to be part of our identity. I remember several years ago, I was in a situation, somebody really disappointed me, really hurt me, made me mad, and I, and I, I, got, I got mad at him. And, 
And later on, that, that anger, that unforgiveness became bitterness. And here's the wild thing about bitterness, man, is that bitterness gives us permission to do things that we would normally know are not okay. But because I'm bitter, I tell myself, well, they have it coming to them. It's different. And so, and then the wild thing about it is it didn't just impact that relationship. It impacted, impacted people I was around. It impacted my relationship with God. I even got kind of mad at the Lord. I'm like, well, you let it happen. You let them do this. And so I was mad at him. That tells you that you're really confused. But there's something about love. It's, it's fierce. It's fierce. It's, it's not weak. It, it's not fragile. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't run at the first sight of disappointment. The first time that somebody's immature place or insecure place or broken place shows up, it doesn't say, well, hey, I'm out. You realize, hey, they're just like me. They have stuff they need to grow into just like I do. Love forgives a lot. A lot, of, and it covers often while it's forgiving. But I know when I didn't forgive, the impact it had on me was so horrible. It impacted my relationship with God, my family, the things that I did and gave myself permission to do, even as a Christian, even as a minister, because I was hurt. I didn't care how I talked to that individual. I didn't care how I treated him. I felt justified. If I shared the story with you, you'd be like, yeah, they were wrong. But it just cost me. It just cost me. Love isn't, it isn't fragile like that. It's, it's fierce and it's, it's willing to boldly forgive. It's willing to, to courageously forgive, to, to not view itself as somebody that's been victimized all the rest of our life because of what's happened to us. And it's not like a wound isn't real, right? It's a real wound. It's a, it's a real thing. It's genuinely hurt us. But Jesus knew that there would be no liberty without forgiveness. That if we don't forgive, it just anchors us in the place that we were hurt, we never move. It's always our reference point. It's always our point of, point of view where our point of view comes from. It's always the way that we enter into every relationship and the way that we exit from them. Because we've just held on to that. And when love shows up, it challenges us. When it speaks to us and says, forgiving is not an option. Yeah, but they, I know. It was wrong, but you've let what they've done hold you captive. And love brings about deliverance. It brings about freedom. It brings about purpose. It opens up doors for us where all of a sudden we begin to realize the things that God has given us and what he's called us and wants to give, you know, in our lives. I had people in my world, and, and I was for a period of time, maybe this is you, they were just held captive for so long. Their life was full of just, just one unfulfilled thing after another. They, they quit having any dreams. They quit having you know, any desires or anything like that because 
They just held on to this place. We have to have confidence in his love. Confident that our eternity is secure. We place our confidence in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. But also confidence in the fact that if I love you, that you may hurt me. You may disappoint me just like the last person did. Just like this other person did. But I refuse to let that stand in the way of what God has for me in my life. When we were down here and, and uh, just as worship was taking place, one of the things I was praying is, Lord, I, I, I want people that have any kind of captivity tonight to be set free. And it was kind of weird because that's not a, for me, that's, honestly, that's not a prayer I typically pray. I wasn't thinking about it when I, when I was driving or it was just while we were worshiping God and just I felt like the Holy Spirit was just dealing with me. I think there's some of you, man, you've just, you've been in bondage. It's, it's not because of your addiction. You've been in bondage, it's not because of what somebody did to you. You've been in bondage because you've not let the love of God lead your life and lead you into a world of forgiveness. It's fierce. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. First of all, if, if you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to do that tonight, I want to pray for you. You know, that being a Christian is more than just believing in God. It's this recognition that God is love, but he's also just. And so because of that, Jesus took my sins, our sins upon him. And on the cross, he took them. He was raised from the dead so we could be forgiven and become children of God. So if you've never made Jesus, Lord, you want to do that this evening, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've done that, but honestly, man, I've gotten off track and I'm not where I need to be or where I used to be. And I want to get back to the place that I was. Can I do that? Absolutely. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you. I've gotten off track before too. I know what that's like. But I can tell you from experience that he'll restore you. So if you want to recommit your life tonight, rededicate your life, I want to pray for you. If you're here and you struggle with him, I really say, I'd like to leave here knowing if that's you, I want to pray for you that you leave here with a confidence. And lastly, if you're here and you've let unforgiveness hold you back, chain you up, stand between the future that God has for you, the calling he has for you, the relationships he has for you. Because you let that real wound fester that stood in the way of where God's calling you. And tonight you're willing to turn loose of that and forgive. I want to pray for you. So for any of those things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the first time or to recommit your life to him or just for an assurance or to just forgive, if that's you on any one of those things with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just so I know who I'm praying for, just so I'm praying for, if that's you, 
Would you just raise your hand and hold it up there for just a minute? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else want to join these? Just, just, I just want to pray for all. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, I want to pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And first of all, Lord, I pray for anybody that's here that has never made you the Lord of their life, never received you as their Savior. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would do that this evening. And as they do that, as they surrender, they'll become a new creature in Christ, that old things will pass away and all things will become new. And they'll leave here forgiven, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. They're yours. They're your child. And Lord, second of all, for anyone that's here that's rededicating their life, recommitting their life, I thank you that they'll leave here forgiven, that you'll restore the joy of their salvation. They'll be reconnected with the plans and purposes of God. And they'll leave here forgiven, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, free because of Jesus. Father, for any of those that struggle with them, I really saved. I pray that when they leave here, they'll know their years speak, not because they feel like it. Man, some days I don't feel like it. And not because they always act like it either, because I don't always act like it. But they'll know their years because you said, whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So our confidence is not in how good we feel. It's not even in how good we are. It's in what Jesus has done for us and what you've promised. And that's enough. And lastly, Father, I pray for any of those that are struggling with unforgiveness. That tonight, it's almost as if they could take a picture and just whatever they've been hanging on to, that if they could just set it on the floor and turn loose of it. And when they leave here tonight, they've let it go and they walk out of here. And they, it, they still may walk out of here wounded, but now they give the Holy Spirit space to heal them. And they love fearlessly from this moment on. Knowing that love's hard sometimes. It's a challenge. It can be painful. But they leave knowing that. And I thank you for that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Before I turn this over, I want to do one thing. I want to lead you in a prayer. Because, you know, Jesus didn't come because humanity needed another religion. He came so that we could have a relationship with him and a relationship with the Father. And in that, we talk to him. So if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to repeat after me. And I want you to be able to hear yourself. There's something powerful about that. And for any of you, for the rest of you that are here, even if you didn't raise your hand, if you'll repeat the prayer with us to encourage those that raise their hand, because we all know this, that as believers, as the body of Christ, we're not in this alone. We're in this together. And so I want you to repeat after me. And again, you're not praying this to me, you're praying this to God, but let's all say this, say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to your will. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And Lord, right now, I forgive anyone that's wounded me, that's hurt me, that's disappointed me, that's betrayed me, that's lied to me, that's took advantage of me, that's used me in any way. I forgive them. 
And I lift them up before you now. And I receive my freedom. Never again will that wound hold me back to what you have for me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give yourself a hand, gang. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.